Our scripture lesson is taken from the New Testament, Paul's letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 12, page 1305, page 1305 in the Pew Bible, Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, He who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly, affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it. In conjunction with it, I turn your attention to the Heidelberg Catechism, found on page 887. The bottom of page 887, we start part three of the Heidelberg Catechism, dealing with gratitude, and look at Lord's Day 32, beginning on the bottom of 887 and continuing on the next page. Question 86, since we have been delivered from our misery by grace through Christ without any merit of our own, why then should we do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, is also renewing us by the Spirit into his image, so that with our whole lives we may show that we are thankful to God for his benefits and that he may be praised through us 
and furthermore, so that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits and by our godly living, our neighbors may be won over to Christ. Can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and unrepentant ways? By no means. Scripture tells us that no unchaste person, no idolater, adulterer, thief, no covetous person, no drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like, will inherit the kingdom of God. Thus far, uh, the reading. Beloved of the Lord, we come now to the third part of the Catechism, which consists of two basic parts, an exposition of the Ten Commandments and an explanation, exposition or explanation of the Lord's Prayer. And uh, it, this section begins with a, a wonderful question that reminds us again of the heart of the Christian religion. Uh, the Christian religion is about grace and mercy. The Christian religion is not, it's not about a nice God who wants us to be nice. No, that's not what the Christian religion is. And it's, it's not a, about a, a God who wants us to feel good about ourselves and believe in ourselves. No, that's not what it's about. It's, it's not about a God who is our uh, heavenly uh, butler who is uh, there to serve our every whim and need and satisfy our every desire. No, rather it's about a holy God who hates sin but who also is filled with love and mercy so that he provides a way of escape from his wrath by taking the punishment our sins deserve upon himself in the person of his Son, Jesus Christ, so that we through faith in Christ may be forgiven and given the gracious gift of life without having to work for it or earn it. Uh, We couldn't earn it if we wanted to. We, We only increase our debt every day. But uh, he graciously gives us life and uh, an eternal inheritance, a glorious eternal inheritance. What a, a glorious God. Nothing you and I can do to earn or deserve it. So, the Catechism asks, why then do we still have to do good works? If we don't have to do good works to earn and deserve our salvation, if it's a free gift of God's grace through his love and mercy in Jesus Christ, why do we still have to do good works? And the answer comes down clearly because God is not only uh, working to forgive us, to redeem us by his blood. Christ is not only uh, redeeming us by his blood, but he's also uh, renewing us by the Holy Spirit to be like himself. In other words, salvation is not just about the forgiveness of sins. It's not just so you can say, okay, my sins are forgiven. That's taken care of. Now I can get on with my life and do what I please. No, uh, he forgives you your sins and then calls you to a new life. He does that because the plan is that you are to live with him forever. You're to live in his presence forever. And in order to live in his presence forever, you and I need to be changed. We, we need to be made holy God cannot have fellowship with sinners. Even forgiven sinners, if they're still in their sin, he he keeps his distance. Uh, Not as much distance, but uh, certainly uh, the fellowship we have now with God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is, is called the down payment. 
And you know, if you, you buy a house, uh, well, down payment used to be 10% or 20%. I, I think it's a lot less now, uh, which isn't always a good thing. But nevertheless, it's still, a, a down payment is a small percentage of the, the full amount. And uh, we only have a small percentage of a fellowship with God compared to what we will have in the future when we are glorified, when there is no sin left in us and when he can walk among us and, and wipe every tear from our eyes and we can see him as he is and, uh, and, and glory in his, his very presence, the, the physical presence of Jesus Christ and the glorious spiritual presence of the Father and so forth, uh, how wonderful that will be. But in order for that to happen, you and I have to be totally cleaned up, not just forgiven, but also cleaned up. And so God is uh, not only redeeming us by the blood of Christ, he's also renewing us to become like uh, uh, himself. Another way to look at this is to say that uh, our Father is making us his children. You know, children are supposed to resemble uh, the parents. The children are the image of the parents. Now, God is our adopted father, uh, uh, but he can do what no human adoptive parent can do. Uh, a human adoptive parent can shower a child with love and, and blessings and so forth, but can't make that child resemble the parents physically. But God can do that. He he created us in his image, and now by his spirit he is renewing us in his image so that we again have the characteristics of image of God uh, in uh, true righteousness, knowledge, and holiness, We are being renewed and recreated to be like our uh, brother Jesus Christ and like our Heavenly Father uh, who made us in his image. Uh, To uh, be like God includes being separated from sin and uh, delighting into doing what is good. And that's what what Christ is at work now through the word and spirit uh, doing in our lives. Uh, the Bible repeatedly uh, describes uh, that uh, good works are one of the, the chief fruits of our salvation. It's not, the, it's not the end of our salvation. The end is to be with God, to get back to God. Uh, like uh, in the garden, Adam and Eve in the garden had fellowship, intimate, close communion and fellowship with God. And the, the goal of salvation is to... Uh, we were cast out, now is to get back, to get back in and to be with God and to be close to Him and near Him. But uh, part of that is manifesting as a fruit of His work, uh, good works in our lives. We looked last week at Ephesians 2.10 that we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Or Ephesians 4 verse 12. He gave us pastors to prepare God's people for works of service. The pastor isn't supposed to do all the work of the church. He's there to equip and to train together with the elders, uh, every member to uh, to do their part for building up the body of Christ. Uh, Romans 6 says you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. And the benefit you reap 
is holiness. And so uh, Paul writes in Philippians, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purposes. Realize that God saved you not because you are good, but he saved you to uh, to be good. He did not save you even because you have the potential for goodness. Uh, He saved you because (laughs) if he hadn't, you would have been totally lost. He saved you to make you good. And therefore you are to do, as our text said, offer your lives as a living sacrifice unto him. Living sacrifice is as opposed to a dead sacrifice. Most of the sacrifices in the in the Old Testament were dead sacrifices. Uh, the animal died uh, because uh, the penalty, the wages of sin, is death, and uh, the animal died as a substitute for the people. Uh, not that the death of animals could actually take away their guilt, but it pointed them to the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world, the ultimate sacrifice, the fulfillment of all sacrifices, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Uh, that does effectively take away our guilt. Uh, but uh, since that has been done, there is no more need for blood sacrifices. Now it's a living sacrifice, a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Offer your lives as a living sacrifice of thanksgiving, knowing that now God is at work in you to uh, renew you through the Spirit to be like himself is, is a very practical help to young people. A lot of young people are asking, what should I do with my life? What should I do with my life? Well, you should do good with your life. Uh, that is, you should find what talents and abilities God has given you and use them to do good things in this world. Good things for God, which means uh, uh, helping other people. We show our love for God by loving those people around us. And we work for God by uh, seeking to fulfill the needs of the people around us. You know, this uh, community has uh, two uh, great businesses, uh, Vermeer and uh, Pellicorp. And both of those organizations produce products that improve uh, the quality of life for many people, uh, enabling people to uh, do their work better, enabling people to uh, stay warm and uh, to uh, enjoy the beauty of God's creation through good windows and so forth. Uh, They are a great blessing. Those of you who uh, are old enough to remember uh, houses that uh, didn't have insulation and uh, didn't have uh, much protection from the cold uh, can uh, appreciate that uh, double and triple pane windows that uh, keep out the cold and keep in the warmth are a great blessing and improve the life of people, improve their health, and so forth. And so these businesses need people to do, when, when you work to produce those products, you're doing something good. And of course, there's, there's all different ways that you support that, uh, that business by, uh, uh, being a clerical worker, being a worker on the line, being a 
uh, a, an administrator, a, a project supervisor, to be involved in, in parts or inventory or finances. Uh, everybody makes their contribution to putting out these good products that improve the lives of people. And of course, we could look at uh, farmers too. Uh, they they're doing good. They're they're uh, uh, taking good care of the land. I trust and uh, making it fruitful and productive so that the, the dietary needs of the world are, are being met. <laughs> uh, if you uh, There's a sign on the highway that says, if you ate today, uh, thank a farmer. Uh, they, uh, they are doing good work. And you can look at all sorts of businesses, uh, people that uh, produce art that uh, enriches our lives, or people who write books, or people who... Uh, 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 sell clothing, you, you know, people who do your taxes. All of those things are necessary for our lives. They, and when the peop- we have people who do those things, they are enriching our lives. And that, that's doing good. And so if you're wondering, what does God want me to do with my life? Say, God wants me to do good. He wants me to be involved in meeting the needs of people around me and using my gifts and abilities to help other people to improve the quality of their lives, to improve the length of their lives, and so forth. We could talk about doctors and nurses and hospitals and pharmacists, all that sort of stuff. That's all good work that God has given us to do. You know, when I was in high school... uh, the, uh, the the mindset of the world was, and in some ways still is, you know, young people, you got to go to college in order to get a good job so you can earn a lot of money. And uh, that's what people thought they had to do with their lives, is go to college and earn, uh, get an education so that they could get a good job and earn a lot of money. That That's what you should do with your life, is earn money. And, and that's that's not God's will for your life. God may, as you do good in the world, God may reward you with money, or he may not. Uh, that's not important. What's important is that you're doing what you're gifted to do to enrich the lives of others, bringing uh, glory to God by helping other people with your talents and abilities. God has called us to do good. He is working in us to make us good, and to make us a blessing to those around us. But now, when we recognize that this is why we still have to do good works, because God is not only redeeming us by his blood, but also renewing us to be like his son, uh, we recognize that this also accomplishes several good purposes. Uh, it uh, For purposes in particular, uh, it uh, enables us to show that we're thankful to God. When you do good uh, in response to what God has done for you, uh, you're showing yourself thankful. You know, if somebody does you a favor, maybe uh, somebody uh, gives you a ride to the doctor or uh, uh, scoops the snow off your lawn, uh, off your sidewalks or mows the lawn, you know, uh, sometimes elderly people need a little help and and uh, somebody comes along and does a kindness and is not looking for any reward, not looking to be paid or anything. And the person who has received this kindness says, uh, how can I reward you? How can I thank you? You know, you immediately feel an obligation to do something good in return. 
and that's that's proper. That's that's right. We should teach our children. You know, when when grandma gives uh, the little four-year-old a, uh, a birthday present, what does mom say? She says, uh, "What do you say to grandma?" Uh, and the idea is, you say thank you to grandma. You know, you you've got to say thank you. And uh, when God gives us a free salvation, we should want to say thank you. Uh, God's wrath is already being revealed, uh, being revealed from heaven uh, against those who do not honor God as God or give him thanks. Uh, thankfulness is one of our chief uh, duties before God. And uh, by doing good, we show ourselves thankful. Uh, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And uh, Paul says uh, here in Romans 1, in view of God's mercies, Offer your lives in response to God's mercy. Offer your lives. Show yourselves thankful. But also, by doing good, we not only show ourselves thankful, we also bring glory to God. You know, Matthew 5 says, uh, let your light shine. Uh, Let the, the world see your good deeds so that they may give praise to your Father in heaven. Uh, we're to do our good in the world so that people will Learn to praise God. How, how does that work? Why don't they just praise us? Well, we're supposed to do it in a, do good in a, in a humble way and uh, show that uh, by our lives that everything we have is a, a gift of God's grace. Uh, it's, you know, when you go to a museum and you see a great work of art, uh, you don't praise the work of art. You, you, you praise the, the artist. You say, what a magnificent artist, what a skilled artist the, uh, this is who has created this work. And, and that's how it's supposed to be with our lives. People are supposed to look at our lives and say, my, what God has done in that person's life. Uh, we ought to praise God for the transformation that God has worked in that person's life, uh, making this person so useful and helpful and so outgoing as well as being uh, a humble uh, servant of God. Uh, by our lives, God is glorified. Thirdly, we also uh, gain greater assurance that that God is really working in us, that God is working in us. Uh, we are assured of our faith by its fruits, says the Catechism. Matthew 7 says that a, a bad tree cannot uh, bear good fruit. And uh, John uh, writes, uh, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Uh, if we see that we've overcome our animosities, overcome our hatred, and learn to forgive as we have been forgiven, because we're all going to sin against each other all the time. But if we, if we learn to forgive as we have been forgiven, which means forgive unconditionally, because that's how we've been forgiven, unconditionally, forgiving from the heart uh, those who have sinned against us, uh, and uh, loving people, well, that that's not natural. Uh, that is the result of uh, the fruit of God's uh, work in our lives. And we are assured that indeed God is at work in us. And if God is at work in us, he will bring that work to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Uh, he will uh, not uh, leave us or drop us, but uh, he will... Uh, Make sure that uh, he never drops us. Uh, uh, he will not lose any whom the Father has given to him. Now, this 
this matter of assurance of faith through the fruits of faith is sometimes a subject that uh, people get a little confused about. Uh, assurance of faith is uh, through the fruits of faith is really a secondary means of assurance. Uh, the primary way that we are assured that our faith is real is simply by believing the promises of God. Uh, for example, in John 1, it says, everyone who received him, who believed in his name, to them he gave the right to become children of God. If you have received him, if you have believed in his name, then you are a child of God. That's a, a statement in Scripture that we know is, is true. The Spirit convinces us that it's true. And because we have faith in Jesus, we say, through faith, I am assured by the promises of God that I am a child of God. Again, John 6:47. he who believes has eternal life. That's what Jesus said. He who believes has eternal life. Uh, you're a believer. What does that mean? It means you have eternal life. If you doubt that, you're doubting Jesus. Do you you want to be in a position where you say, you know, I'm not sure Jesus would tell me the truth. I I think Jesus might be pulling my leg here. He might be deceiving me. I have believed in him, but but, but, uh, I don't know if I I have eternal life or not. We don't want to be in a position where we, we doubt the word of Jesus. Jesus said to you, he who believes has eternal life. And your assurance is based on that, that promise given to you and, and made real in your life through the work of the Spirit. Or uh, Peter, uh, I believe in his Pentecost sermon, says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Again, that, that's a promise from Scripture. Or First uh, John, uh, uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, these gospel promises, there's so many of them in Scripture uh, that uh, we we go to them, we read them, we meditate on them. uh, The Spirit uh, drives them home and through faith in the Word of God, we are assured of our faith. And then, in addition, in addition, our faith is confirmed also by observing the fruits of faith in our lives, namely those good works which God is producing in us. So there's two, two, two legs on which our, our assurance stands, the, the leg of faith in the promises and the leg of uh, observing the good works that God is at work in us. So our, our works show that we're thankful. Our works bring glory to God. They give us greater assurance that our faith is real. And then the uh, Catechism also tells us that uh, by them, uh, others uh, uh, come to faith in Christ because of them. Our neighbors are one to Christ uh, through our good deeds. Now, we need to be careful there. I think the Catechism is speaking in an abbreviated format here. Uh, No one is going to come to faith by merely observing your good deeds But your good deeds, particularly your good deeds for your neighbor, will impress upon them the truth of the gospel. Uh, It is the good news about Jesus, about who he is and what he has done, that when it is heralded by his servants and when it is made known, uh, it's that by which we are born again. We're born again through the word. But sometimes people won't listen to the word until they are impressed 
with the character of the people who are bringing that word to them. This past week, I listened to a podcast of uh, a woman giving her testimony. She was a woman who uh, had made a wreck of her life and uh, found herself in a uh, shelter for the homeless. And she was required to go to chapel services at this uh, shelter for the homeless. And she listened to the minister and not, she said, he didn't make any sense at all. I didn't understand one word he was talking about. But one thing I did understand, and that is that the people in that shelter treated me with respect. Nobody, she said, had ever treated her with respect in her life. She had always been abused and used and beaten down. And all of a sudden, there's these people, a group of people, who are treating her with respect. And the more she she experienced that, the more impressed she was, and, and the more eager she was to find out why that was. And and, and that, that opened the door for her to, to hear the gospel. Then she began to understand what the preacher was saying. You know, there's a, an ancient saying that comes from one of the uh, ancient saints of the church. Uh, uh, preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. Uh, I don't like that saying. <laughs> that's, that's not a good saying. Uh, the gospel is always in words. But our lives uh, can impress upon people the truth of the gospel so that when they hear it, they will take it seriously. And that's what the catechism has in mind. Uh, and so uh, we do good deeds because Christ is not only redeeming us from the guilt of our sin, he's also renewing us by the Spirit, through the Word, to be like himself. Uh, he is at work in us. And uh, therefore, we must be uh, working our, our salvation with fear and trembling because he is at work in us. And when we do this, we show ourselves thankful. We bring glory to God. We gain greater assurance and uh, we give uh, power to our gospel witness. But now the catechism also asks the question, can we be saved without them? Can we be saved without them and the emphatic answer of the catechism is no we cannot be saved without them you cannot be saved if you do not turn to god from wicked your wicked and ungrateful ways and the catechism quotes first corinthians 6 uh, verses 9 through 10 do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of god do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindles, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Of course, it goes on to say, and that's what some of you were, but now you have been justified, you have been glorified by uh, uh, Jesus Christ and so forth. But he says, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. That's a real danger, a real danger that that people who are immersed in sin and practicing sinful things and not not turning away from them, not struggling with these temptations, but but giving in to them readily would deceive themselves, would say to themselves, well, you know, in the Old Testament, we go to the temple, we offer the sacrifices, we go to the festivals, uh, we bring the tithe, we do this, we do that, and therefore uh, we're covered and uh, today people would say, well, I've been baptized, I attend church, uh, uh, therefore I, I'm taken care of. 
and, and people presume upon the grace of God and, and think that because they fill certain requirements, then uh, what happens uh, Monday to Saturday that uh, the elders don't see and the minister doesn't see, that uh, we can get away with that. Well, those who are deceiving themselves are filled with with uh, complacency, self-satisfaction. They're pleased with themselves. They're pleased with their behavior. They're, they're proud of themselves. And... Uh, but they are in, in great danger. Uh, the, uh, the scriptures uh, say if uh, we uh, claim to have, uh, if we uh, say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Uh, we claim to have fellowship, but we walk in darkness. Well, then we lie and we we're not in the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, then we do have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, walking in the light doesn't mean walking sinlessly, because the next verse says, if we say we do not sin, we deceive ourselves. No, we need to confess our sins. You know that you're not deceiving yourself if you're humbly striving to fight against temptation if you are humbly confessing your sin and joyously uh, celebrating free forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ, then you can be sure that you're not deceiving yourselves. But if you're proud and complacent and uh, presuming that everything is okay and that uh, it doesn't matter what uh, you do uh, behind uh, other people's eyes, uh, then indeed you may be in great danger. Be careful. We do not want to deceive ourselves. Someone has once said, Never was the law more highly esteemed than when Christ voluntarily submitted to its demands on our behalf. If the law could be set aside for us, Jesus would not have to die for us. What that quote is saying is, The law still needs to play a big part in our lives. Even though... Uh, we don't have to keep the law to be saved. Christ had to keep the law. If that hadn't been the case, you can be sure that, that God would have found an easier way for Jesus to save us. But the only way for Jesus to save us was for him to keep the law on our behalf. Therefore, uh, the law is very much still in force. And we are called to show ourselves thankful uh, to uh, by striving to keep that law day by day. That's why we still need to do good works because God is at work in us to make us like his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder of the need to continue to uh, humble ourselves before you, confess our sin, and strive to fight against temptation to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, to seek to be made more and more holy, to be like our Savior Jesus Christ in true righteousness and knowledge and holiness. And Father, may we offer our lives as a living sacrifice of thanksgiving, seeking to do good in all that we say and do. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.